1: to entertaining the idea that I could be a healer came in a vision, a radical vision spontaneous. I was visiting a friend in college it was still during this time, during my exploration phase, when, I, when um, the government incentives were down and I had free range to go and travel wherever I wanted and I was getting paid to not do work, basically. You know, So the gates of heaven had opened for me to, to explore and I took full advantage of it. And as a part of what I was doing was I'd go around to different colleges from friends that I, I knew and loved and I would just share what I was exploring. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, these kids, they need to to hear this stuff. You know, they're, you know, uh, they they need to know that there's other options available. And so (laughs) I was so young and immature, I would do this. But during one of these trips, I remember I laid down on the couch, I closed my eyes and I was immediately, oh my God, it was incredible. I don't know how, I don't know how else to put it, but I found myself swimming in a universe of blood. I was swimming in blood, and somehow my consciousness brought me to each person in my family. I think it was like my mom first, and then my dad, and then my grandparents. And this was completely spontaneous and out of my control. And I'd put my hands on either side of their head, and I explained to them that I was going to heal the family. And it was a weird experience for me because I was holding them like they were my child and as I was swimming in the universe of blood um, I noticed that we were all connected by these silver cords the silver cords were so luminescent so alive it was like glowing with this neon quality that's beyond that's beyond anything that um, I've seen in regular waking life. Uh, but we're all connected by this. And I'd heard about that before, but again, I'd never had the lived experience of it before. You know, I was shot out of that with just one more, <laughs> one more big sack of questions to have answered. You know, that was, that was, that was within my first year in the mystery school. So that was when I was just starting to get warmed up. I didn't quite realize that what was happening was um, my healership was being slowly unpacked. And I was getting glimpses of it in different interesting ways. So yeah, silver so records, man, check that off the list.
0: Many of us have imagined what it would be like to be a member of Hogwarts, or the Xavier School for the Gifted. Institutions where inherent supernatural abilities are enhanced and defined, are identities shaped by these unreal forces that empower us. But for what some may see as a distant fantasy, it's the life of Tim Rothschild. He's a non-dual, Kabbalistic healer, and we followed a part of his journey into shamanism during Season 1, Episode 4. We explored how Tim, in the face of extreme tragedy and addiction, began to heal himself through this work while healing others. It was a story about the addict becoming the healer. On this edition of Obscura, we go back to New York and discover Tim's origin story and what it was like to stumble from a sales job under the stoop of a secretive institution, discovering hidden knowledge and gaining access to latent superpowers his first dark encounters in the spiritual realm, and signs from Ascended Masters. I'm Jim Perry. This is Obscura. A look back at the stories of Euphemet Season 1. This time, we attend the Mystery School. Next, on Obscura. What would it feel like if you realized that, from the very beginning, you were designed to look for, to find, and to receive God? That you were designed to awaken to reality? How would it feel to know that this would definitely happen in your lifetime? Because you were made to accomplish this very thing. Jason Shulman is a modern Kabbalist. He's a writer and founder of A Society of Souls, a school based in New Jersey dedicated to awakening the human spirit. He's Tim's teacher. And when Tim gifted me his book, The Instruction Manual for Receiving God, during my last trip to New York, it was then that I finally met Jason myself. Through the written word, warm, human-centric spiritual knowledge, I get how Tim has fallen headfirst down a path of awakening to look for, to find, and to receive God himself. And you can consider that God with a lowercase g, perhaps. It stands for love, consciousness, community. I'm proud of Tim. If anything, he's evidence of self-manifestation. Years ago, we bonded over quick chats about the quickening and reptilian conspiracies. Now he's a healer who has devoted his life to a mastery of esoteric abilities, tuning himself to receive messages that allow him to gleam insight on the true nature of reality it's heavy stuff and not being a non-dual kabbalist myself sometimes i'm left searching for context but it's in tim's journey i feel so inspired and the origin to it all is stranger than fiction
1: My name is Tim Rothschild. I'm a non-dual kabbalistic healer. Non-dual healing. That ultimately encompasses the consciousness that we work with, which is non-duality, all inclusive, not in opposition to anything. So really what it breaks down to is conflict resolution, you know, which is a funny thing because the only reason why we have evolution in the first place is because at one point like one of ourselves just became a little bit radical and started to press up and irritate all these other cells and Things started to happen, you know, so at some point, you know, things get out of control we need to, we need to bring things back into relationship. And that's, that's what that's, this is all about. It's about awakening. And what, what really brought me here is exploration, you know, some mystical experiences that, that completely turned my world upside down. I was selling solar installations at the time. I, I had no idea that non-ordinary states of consciousness were like a thing that people could explore. I had no uh, relationship to shamanism. I'm not even sure if I even heard the word. And uh, right at that same time, I started to have these experiences. I met people that, were, that, were, that had what people call cities or powers. Um and I and I couldn't rectify that. You know, people that had really expensive cars in their driveway, really abundant lives. Uh and then I'd sit down with them and they'd
0: Tell us a story about one of those people if you
1: Yeah. Um <laughs> I'll tell you I'll tell you a story about somebody that was in my town. One of these um healers that I met with was in the same town that I lived in. I couldn't believe it. So I show up, nice cars in the driveway, just like I said, nice big house. I went there because I knew that these people were psychic. I sit down with her and you know one of the first things that she says is oh an owl has appeared on my shoulder and it starts speaking to her and you know just looks like a normal average woman like in her 50s that I would see in the supermarket and I'm like okay you know I'm open-minded here but what's going on here I see no owl i'm sitting here in my dense physical body looking at her like okay she's either out of her mind or i'm totally out of the loop of something here you know so i still wasn't i still wasn't uh completely i i in denial how do i put it i i didn't say i didn't say this is nuts right there's still something that i was tugging on i was i was still so curious because she had two nice cars in her driveway, a really big house, and she was really nice. She was like a really nice, sweet woman. And she knew a lot of stuff about me, and my past, like pets that passed away. You know, all your typical psychic stories, you're like, there's no way that they could have known that. You know? Beyond coincidence. Beyond coincidence. So I sat with that for a while, and I did a bunch of healings with these people. And after a certain amount of time, I realized that, okay, there's something to this. There's there's, a, there's an entire universe or universes that are just beneath the five senses and just beneath what 99.9% of the world's population is exploring or even aware of. And uh, I have an opportunity here. Somehow I intuitively knew that if I was on the outside looking in, I would never know for sure. I, I I took a look at some of the schools that these people were, were, were joining. One of them was the Society of Souls. It was a four year program. And I said, I'm going in. I'm diving into this program and I gotta experience this for myself. It was a lot of money. I was like, fuck it, I'm doing this. And um I uh I never how do I put it? I never saw it coming.
0: day
1: like it was incredible I went there I went there to get some questions answered I went there to find out what happened on (laughs) 9-11 I went there to, to find out if Atlantis was real I went there to find out about Jesus I went there to get all of these answers and all I was left with was more and more questions and so I became increasingly more frustrated but I didn't realize and that's it's because I didn't realize what was going on I walk in and my teacher takes a look at me and she says, you're here to heal something that happened three generations back on your mother's side. And um, I held that as a possibility, right? You know, I, I, I I never denied anything at the time, but I held it as a possibility. And I also couldn't exclude the fact that there was something inside me that responded to her saying that. That really it didn't quite shake me but it 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 it, uh, put me in my place like i took my seat like literally like sat down and said i have to know how this is possible i have to know i i knew i sat down i looked at my teacher and the way that she was able to be with every question the way that she was able to handle whatever information came her way I don't know how else to put it, the curviness through which she moved through the world. You know, if you take a look at the way trees and mountains and the way everything in the natural world is built, it has this curvy nature to it. You know, man-made stuff is very sharp. You know, she embodied this curviness and everything seemed to flow with her. And it was just, it was wonderful to be around and to feel and to to sense that presence where I looked at her and I said, I'm going to teach this one day. I know I'm going to teach this one day. When did you start healing work? So I was in a, the type of healing work that I do now, that I'm so in love with, the non-dual Kabbalistic healing, you know, we'll call it non-dual healing for short. I started actually doing the healings my third year in the school. You know, I have, I have a little bit of a talent for this, so I got cleared a little bit earlier than others just to sort of, you know, with the spirit of exploration and curiosity and play. You know, there, there are safety mechanisms in these healings where they'll only work. It's like holistic therapy where um, I might aggravate symptoms or nothing will happen at all or I'll help. So there's really, really nothing wrong if my client is aware of what I'm doing. So you want to hear my first encounter with real magic? <laughs> because I'm still a skeptic. I, I'm, I'm doing four healings a day, six days a week. This is my life, you know what I mean? Like I'm doing healing work, shamanic work all day long living this. And I'm still skeptical. I still have to pinch myself at times, right? So this was, this was very early on in my healing career. Um, when I wasn't charging very much, giving myself a lot of space to explore, always just so surprised when somebody showed up for a healing. But every now and then I'd get somebody that would come back time and time again. They'd come back week after week and they were getting something out of it. And I was getting something out of it. I'm like, this is great, you know? And usually people show up with... Um, the, the reason why somebody shows up to a healer is because they've got problems. After a certain amount of time, they show up and they're like, I'm happy. And it's like, all right, you know, we've been working on this stuff for months. (laughs) I'm living at home at the time, so I'm in my mom's basement, practicing shamanism and healing, you know? And then she mentions, my client mentions, about 20 minutes into the session, she kind of changes her, just changes her energy. And she's like, you know, I have been having these really bad dreams about my aunt. And I'm like, okay, um, tell me about them. You know, and she goes, well, I have this dream where you know, things would be going well, I'll be doing my thing, and then all of a sudden my aunt shows up. And right as she mentions her aunt in the dream, I become aware of black smoke filtering down the steps from my upstairs. And now, it's not like black smoke coming out of a chimney. It's more like black smoke in the corner of my eye But it is very real, and it is subtly filtering into the room, not towards me, but towards my client. And while I'm experiencing my cognitive dissonance of this, because remember, this is my first encounter with something like this, my client breaks out into hives and starts to hyperventilate. And she says, starts to blurt out, I think that my aunt is practicing black magic on me and my cousin, and she's after to get me, and she starts unraveling. She starts unraveling and losing it. Now I'm way out of bounds. I'm way out of my territory. I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do, and I just start crying. I, I took out all my tools. I start doing Reiki. There's one of those gut check moments where you just kind of lock in and you just follow your instincts, you know? And so I did, I did what I could in the moment. The session was over and I immediately called my teacher who is much more cosmically oriented, you know, sings with the angels every morning. Here's the music of the spheres. I, I reach out to her and I'm like, I'm in trouble here. I'm in over my head. And I was not prepared for this kind of healing work. I was told, I was told healing and awakening was this. And now I'm encountering black magic. And I know it's real. She calls me back and lets me know that, um, yes, this is indeed, my client is indeed a victim of black magic. Her aunt is uh, attacking her and both of her cousins, and they're Albanian. And what happened is, seven generations back, an ancestor buried a dead animal in the ground and created a morphic field, a morphic resonance in the ground there that could be psychically tapped into throughout all time and space, right? So seven generations, it doesn't matter. It could be a hundred generations. That dead animal, that metamorphic resonance is still buried and anchored into that ground and the spirits of those ancestors are still protecting it in the spirit realm and anchoring it into the physical realm. So my teacher went on a shamanic journey and contacted all of the ancestors and asked permission to let this curse go. Because what was happening was the ant in the present moment was tapping into the power of seven generations back of the original wounding, the original resentment, the original whatever occurred between those family members that was still playing out today. And so eventually we had to do a ritual. This is my first, uh, this is the first time I ever had to I, I mean, this, this was a true initiation for me. It's actually making me emotional to talk about because it really showed me the implications of where, you know, Einstein talks about spooky action at a distance, the implications of why people do ritual and why we actually do these things. So I had to pray and trust that the information that came through my heart was going to be what my client needed. And what was given to me was do a seven-day ritual, and each day, light a candle, ask, communicate to these spirits, ask for the curse to be released, ask for whatever else needs to be done. It was a whole process. And at the seven days, that was it. Blow the candle out, say this curse is broken. And then it was on my client to then no longer engage with the black magic, because what I've since learned since then is it's a, it's a participatory thing. It's, it's a seduction. It, it, it lures you in in one way or another. Uh, you can only engage with evil uh, in that way if, as far as I know, again, I'm still in, in terms of magic. I'm still a baby, but this is my first encounter where healing met magic. You know, so in a sense, it was it was divine timing. It was meant to be, and it gave me my first peek into how this stuff actually works. And I've since been able to use rituals and other ceremonial type magics in order to protect myself and others. And I know it's real. I know it's real because I've experienced it, and that client is uh, my number one uh, referee. You know, in terms like they they send me tons of clients because of my, in my in her mind I saved her life, and it, it was it wasn't me. It was my lineage of healers meeting her lineage of magical practitioners, and it was that healing moment that healed seven generations back and seven generations forward that so many people hear about in the shamanic traditions. So that was my first real time of saying. Holy shit, this is, this is real? It can affect people to such an extent that it actually killed her cousin because her cousin continued to engage in it uh, a couple months later. So it got very real, very real. It took me a couple weeks, probably longer, to shake it off and reintegrate. You could say I had a shattering in that moment there was so much so much information that i had not known was real had very quickly become real i immediately made all these connections to all the books that i had read skeptically and all the people that i had judged and all the history that i had dismissed and denied and i said well now what does life look like you know what's really going on now and how do i move through the world?" knowing this. What do you call those? I guess you could call it a milestone, but it doesn't feel like one. Felt more like a cosmic accident. Felt more like an initiation. A rite of passage. So I was driving from North Jersey to Tappan, and it was like a 40 minute drive and I'm listening to Ram Dass and this feeling of peace, tranquility, serenity, whatever you want to call it, uh, entered my system. And it was palpable. This wasn't something that I could ignore. It was just, I, was, I, I attributed it to Ram Dass' calming words and taking refuge in his teachings. And, and um, I was so touched by it that I ended up going into my old bedroom and going online that night. And using the rest of my money to buy two photographs of Neem Karoli Baba, because I would heard recently in that teaching that having even just a picture of Maharaji was a great honor, was a great uh, blessing to, to have on you and the household. And so I was like, okay, it's it's time. I've been listening to these teachings enough. Let's take a look at this. Let's see, let's see what the deal is. I didn't have an altar at the time. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have I didn't have anything, uh, but I did have my laptop and so i opened up my laptop and on the screensaver i put a picture of Hanuman, who is who maharaji that saint was always um, honoring and giving tribute to and i'm listening to these teachings i put the screensaver up and somewhere along the way i fell asleep and um, when i woke up my grandfather who often does this had let himself in the back door of the house and he walked into my bedroom and I woke up and I saw him and I was like, Grandpa, what are you doing here? And he didn't say anything, and he walked out of the room. And then I was like, what the heck's going on? And I, but I realized I couldn't move. I was paralyzed in my bed. And in walked Neem Kuroli Baba, who, by the way, died in 1971, 1972. So here he is, and I'm paralyzed. I can't move, and I'm completely conscious. And he walks and he he walks onto my bed and he's in his I'm telling you, man, he's, he's in this, his, his typical red and black blanket that he always wears. He looked exactly like he looked like in all of his pictures and he kneels down next to me and he puts his left hand on my stomach, on my abdomen, and he takes his right hand and he squeezes my left breast as hard as he can. The only reason why it felt really uncomfortable was because my entire life, that was the one part of my body that I was the most self-conscious about you know I grew up I was called bitch tits I was was made fun of for being fat so I made the decision I would never let that happen again and it was killing me in other words it was totally it was like a a hose that was completely tied up in a knot and the, the knot was my perception of myself and holding on to this identity and when he squeezed my chest in that moment he released me from that spell I was under So he squeezes my chest and he and he performs a healing on me and he gets up off the bed and he goes over to where my cell phone is sitting on the counter and he does something with my cell phone and he walks out of the room. As soon as he walks out of the room, I'm free of my paralysis, I hop up, I go right over to the phone and I look in the phone and inside it is a metal paper clip that was jammed into two places where normally you'd have like the headphone and like the uh, the power jack. And um, it, was, it was bent in such a way that I could put my finger in and pull it out. And when I pulled it out, it was this super strange experience of feeling this wah 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 as as energy went flying back and forth through both hemispheres of my brain and i went flying back onto my bed and i woke up and i realized in that moment that i was in a completely different reality i'll never forget it for my entire life i couldn't i was i couldn't believe it i was like when he did it i went yes That's it, that's the one place I wouldn't look and I never would have looked in my entire life. And who would have thought that all my money issues, all my relationship problems and everything came down to this one part of my life that I was excluding i'm on a path for wholeness and i split off from that part of myself because i had to maintain this image and so that started the process of me becoming more malleable my ego softening i was in this hard shell that was becoming inflamed and wasn't functioning anymore and he came and he found that little crack in my armor and just started to soften and it and it and it and it And it took months and months to unfold, and it's still unfolding, but that was the healing. Man. And that's also what convinced me. I mean, I had a lived experience of what it's like to have a saint who says, call on me, even after death, and I will support you. I know that that's true now. I know that that's true.
0: I think there's a part of Tim that wishes I'd just joined the mystery school already and be done with it. He says, one day, you'll have to make a choice. Sometimes I'm not sure if that is aspirational thinking or a threat. In any case, it's grounding and secures me at least the right of choice should any cosmic dodgeball game break out. But maybe that is just my ego talking. With that, I'll leave you with some words from Jason Shulman. To have no identity, We must have a strong identity. It's a paradoxical thing. Give me your axe, now go cut down a tree. This might be great for some textbook zen, but it is terrible advice for building a cabin. The same is true for the things of the spirit. To have no ego, we must have a strong ego. That is, to have a healthy ego, one that disappears seamlessly into our entire self, we must have a healthy ego to begin with. Part of spiritual work is to heal our ego into health. Doing that, the ego will disappear in its invisible and true function. We will not hear it sputter or grind its gears, but it will be there, working, bringing us ever closer to God and our own Buddha nature. Thank you for listening to Obscura. When I hear Tim talk about healing seven generations back and seven generations forward, I think about my conversation with Psychic Ann Jersh. She's the world's leading expert at future life progression, and I've posted our Euphemet original series episode to our Patreon. It's available now for members at patreon.com slash Thank you so much for all of those who have joined us so far. It's really an incredible help and directly responsible for this show forging ahead. I'd like to thank A Discovery of Witches, AMC's Shutter, Sundance Now, The MindPod Network, Planet Weird, Evolve and Ascend, and Audio Boom for the support. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, and add us on social Twitter and Instagram at Euphemet and me at It's Jim Perry. This has been Euphemet Obscura. I'm Jim Perry, and until next time, keep looking up.